It's Tuesday, the 28th of July, uh, 2009, and you're listening to Skeptics with a K, the podcast for science, reason, and critical thinking. Skeptics with a K is produced by the Merseyside Skeptic Society, a non-profit organization dedicated to the promotion of scientific skepticism on Merseyside, around the UK, and internationally. I'm your host, Mike Hall. With me today is Michael Marshall. Hello. And Colin Harris. Hello. So, guys, what's been going on this week? Well... One thing that's been going on this week is we had a total solar eclipse on the 22nd, which is predicted to be the largest solar eclipse we'll have this century. I think it lasted a full five minutes. That was in China, wasn't it? Yeah, it, you could see it in India and China, but China specifically were very interested in it because um, they had six sites set up, um, all the way from Tibetan Plateau to a cave in a Shanghai suburb, basically observing and tracking this eclipse with the specific intention of measuring the effect on gravity, if there is one. On gravity? Yeah. Which is a bit strange. It's it's quite a controversial thing in, in science, this. and uh, Most uh, scientists in the West don't believe that there's any effect on gravity in an eclipse. But the Chinese have been quite keen on this for a while. And it's been, I think, 20 eclipses. It's the last 20 eclipses, I think, they've had um, experiments, but not, none of them have been conclusive in any way. I can't see how it would happen. I mean, I can yeah. see how, I suppose, if you'd have the sun's gravity and the moon's gravity aligned, yeah. then you'd, you'd get the, the pull from both of them in the same direction. That would, But that would be a very minor yeah. effect, I would have thought. Yeah, have there any kind of, uh, any theories on why it would have any effect at all? They, they do. I, I think they're all sitting on them at the moment because they don't want to <laughs> look like fools at the moment. I think they're suggesting they're talking out of their asses. <laughs> No, I, I think it's. I think there is a genuine interest in it, in it. and I, I think the hope in this time, because it's the largest experiment that's been done to test this, that'll finally put this to bed. It all started in 1954. There's a French physicist called uh, Maurice Allais. I don't know if I've got that right, but he basically, he was studying an eclipse in Paris, and noticed this pendulum that the shift suddenly changed, like an anomalous fluctuation. Although it could have been a million reasons, or he was, his eyesight was a bit funny. I don't know. But he decided that basically there was an anomalous change in gravity. See, anyone who's studying the eclipse and using a pendulum immediately, <laughs> presumably, <laughs> loses some credibility. Before he then yes. take into account the fact that he's a French scientist and well. Wow. <laughs> yes, and I don't know why China are particularly interested, but they've done experiments before, and of course this one was very visible there. So they've they track the whole thing. I don't know when the results come in. Hold, holding out any hope for the sun's eclipse <laughs> effect on gravity? The the problem with previous experiments apparently was that they would always they had not enough pendulums or they were too close to each other and they couldn't quite tell. There always seemed to be a problem. That sounds like special pleading results. to me, really. Yeah. And I think one of the last experiments that was done, the guy who ran the institute that did it, basically, he left without re- releasing his findings, which is... <laughs> It doesn't doesn't bode well, really. Did he leave or did he disappear? (laughs) Has he been got that big big eclipse or big big pendulum? (laughs) I like big eclipse. Well, this is the biggest ever. This is the biggest of the big eclipses. Also, the sun would would have been high in the sky on that day as well, so they said any anomalies would be much more noticeable. So hopefully any results from this will be definitive and it will be able to put this one to bed. It, 
Yeah, I mean, do you really think it'll ever be put to bed? I mean, is it, has there been many examples of a of a piece of woo or pseudoscience that has genuinely disappeared and hasn't just been dredged up again the next time around? Not that I can think of. I mean, but then seen... I don't know every sort of there might there might have been some sort of bizarre quack therapy. Maybe reading Dodo's entrails. I can only presume that. Uh, we yeah, that that, of... that died out fairly quickly. It did. It was yeah. gone. It was gone pretty soon. I mean, that might have been actually the reason that Dodo's it might have worked. We can't speculate. We don't know. It might, it might have been a perfect system. Yeah. For predicting future events, and that's ironically the last Dodo, his entrails said, <laughs> Dodos will become extinct. No more Dodos. <laughs> and that was, yeah. that was the one time it's been 100% accurate. The, the moon's actually been in the news a lot lately. So, um, obviously, we've had the anniversary of the moon landings as well. Mm. And also, at the National Science Museum in London, they're showing a picture by a guy called Thomas Harriet. That 400 years old, it's a drawing of the moon that he did uh, through a telescope. And is there a reason why we don't know his name? Why we won't have heard of his name? Apparently Galileo is a better publicist. He got all the credits despite the fact that Thomas Harriot got there first and did the first drawing of the moon through a telescope. And apparently it's a better drawing as well. Less really? fanciful than Galileo's. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it has been a, a bit of a, a boon week, a boon couple of weeks for the moon. As if anyone saw you know, Oprah Winfrey, not Oprah Winfrey, Whoopi Goldberg, rather. Oh, yes. On uh, oh, the American version of Loose Women. Yeah. Yeah, she wasn't... Uh, she wasn't. I don't, I don't know if... Uh, for listeners who didn't see it, this was Whoopi Goldberg was uh, more or less saying that she believes the moon landings were faked. I don't know if she's actually saying that or whether she was uh, she was trying to stimulate conversation. Yeah. Or yeah, it was weird. I mean, she was she was saying it as if it was a it was as if it was shtick, as if it was just a comedy bit. But she seemed to really have some sort of underlying belief in it, and it was bizarre that she trashed out the same old kind of. But then fallacies. she kept she kept referencing Capricorn One. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know that's a film, Whoopi. Yeah. You well, know that's a film. You work in the business. <laughs> Maybe she thinks O.J. Simpson was the uh, the first guy on the moon. <laughs> maybe he was. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he. Maybe everyone just thinks he was, but uh, secretly he definitely wasn't. Him. <laughs> was this before it's or after? Happened to him. Was this before or after they released that picture um, of O.J. Simpson showing the uh, not not O.J. Simpson on the moon? Uh, showing, so when you said the lunar lander. <laughs> when you said it's just before or after, I thought you were talking about O.J. <laughs> Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was on the moon, <laughs> and maybe the only people he knew were his wife and his wife's lover. But he can't have been on the moon because the spacesuit didn't fit. It wouldn't it's have too fit, small. right? Obviously, it was Armstrong and Aldrin and the guys, and we know that because recently there was those photographs that uh, were released by NASA of the actual moon landing site. Yes, from, to capture from, them. from orbit by the... Uh, because the, the moon... Uh, moon landing deniers, I like to call them, really. Yes. <laughs> the newspapers keep referring to them as skeptics, and they're not skeptics. They're, they're not. really not. Um, the, the, the newspapers seem to be using this the, the term skeptic in a loose sense of someone who denies something, yeah. rather than uh, in, in, in the, the sense that we would use the term skeptics as someone who follows scientific skepticism, yeah. who mm. you know looks to, for where the, 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 the evidence lies. Yeah, Same I mean, with climate change. Yeah, the newspaper is using it in the sense of, I saw Capricorn 1, didn't realise it was a film, I'm therefore a skeptic. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So the, the moon landing deniers have been saying for years, why don't you point Hubble at the moon and photograph the landing site? And the fact that NASA won't do this is evidence for the fact that the moon landings never happened. Yeah. Now, the reason NASA don't do this is because Hubble does not have the resolution. 
if you were to take a photograph of the moon with Hubble, zoomed in as far as it could go, yeah. it wouldn't have the resolution to resolve something as small as the lander. It, it would barely be a pixel on, on a photograph taken by Hubble because Hubble's yeah. designed to take photographs of really big things <laughs> like galaxies, which are a little bit bigger than the moon. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. How much bigger, just to clarify so people know that the numbers, are they like two or three times bigger or is it? Some, something like <laughs> that, I think yeah. it's something like two or three times two, three. It might yeah. even be three or four times bigger. Yeah, well, that's not crazy. Um, now NASA has taken a photograph of, I think it's the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, the LRO. That sounds about right. Um, uh, has taken photographs of the Apollo landing site, and they're still tiny, tiny pictures, but especially on the, the Apollo 11 landing stage, you can see the really long shadow um, that it that it casts, because yeah. it's the only thing that's that height off the surface. Well, I mean, if you look at one of the pictures in, in depth, you can actually still see uh, some of the, the trails of footprints as well, yeah, which, you is, can which see, is amazing, like, really. When you think about it, that's absolutely... Little out. footpaths yeah. and little bits of scientific influence and things. And I... Fully expect that this will make no difference to any yeah. moon landing denier whatsoever. They'll just claim that these pictures are fake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or... Forty years later, we decided to fake <laughs> some pictures rather than two years later. Yeah. yeah. The daftest thing is that when they first went to the moon, Neil Armstrong left a, I think it was a reflective surface of some kind, not quite a mirror, on the moon. And basically, NASA ever since then have been measuring the light reflecting from. Oh the yeah, it's like a laser yeah. reflector yeah. thing. Yeah, so, so we can t accurately yeah. tell the distance to the moon. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, not because four the, the deniers a year it changes. Well, the it? deniers are just saying that that was put down there by a robot. It was. Uh, it was <laughs> it, yeah, they're saying <laughs> it was, it was Simpson. an automatic. <laughs> it might have been O.J. Simpson while he was up there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but the, the laser, uh, the laser reflector. I mean, they're saying that it was put down there by a, a robot. Um, which is crazy because they're saying that the guys who designed it, well, they, they wouldn't have known. This is real. I this thought you made this up. <laughs> no, this is genuine. They genuinely said it, it's a it's, it's a uh, reflector that could plant itself. It would come off one of the the, um, is this the, the Terminator puppies. style robot. It is exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's made of liquid metal. In fact, it is the reflector itself. Yeah. <laughs> it just gets up there, melts, and lies in a puddle. Yeah, to the end of time. It's yeah. crazy. I mean, if you listen to, um, you can find it on YouTube. I'm sure Joe Rogan, the uh, American game show host. Uh, you can you can see you can hear him uh, debating Phil Plait. Yes, and he uh, he brings out all this kind of weird nonsense, like the fact that it was a robot and not yeah. a man who put it down. And it's it's really worth listening to. It's infuriating and crazy, but definitely worth spending uh, twenty minutes or so listening to. Uh, one story that that, that that caught my eye this week was um, uh, the story of the holistic dentist John Roberts. <laughs> um, John Roberts is a, a, a dentist in West Yorkshire um, who has managed to successfully combine quackery with dentistry. You could divide most pseudosciences, uh, medical pseudosciences, into uh, uh, three categories. Most. I say most. Um, they would be detox, which is, this is bad for you. You need to get it out of your system, like uh, colonic irrigation, for example. Or chelation therapy. Um, or chelation therapy. The, the, uh, any number of, of, of detox diets where, you know, you just eat cabbage for a month or some, some <laughs> yeah. ridiculous nonsense like that. Suck a lemon, smell some honey. Um, That's about it. Uh, there is detox. There's vitalism, um, which is uh, the, the, the idea that the body has some sort of life force or spark or something along those Innate lines. Energy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which Blood. you'll you'll see in chiropractic where it's called innate intelligence, or you see this in um, acupuncture where it's chi, mm. uh, uh, reiki where it's just the, the the body's energy field. And yeah. the, you know, 
uh, and a quack therapy that relies on vitalism anything that uh, is a manipulation of your energy field to, to fix it never mind the germ theory of disease no this is just any flaw in your energy field is is the is the cause of disease and fix you fix the flaw you fix the disease yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the third uh, form of, uh, of of pseudo medicine is um, the homunculus therapy in uh, medicine a homunculus argument is where one part of the body is said to represent yeah. the whole body so in reflexology it's the foot your your feet represent uh, your entire body and so you poke the right bit of the foot then it fixes the right bit of the body so i, I think that like the center of your foot is the kidney so you rub the kidney if you've got bad kidneys you rub the kidney bit and then everything's okay <laughs> yeah uh what John- happens if you're an amputee <laughs> then you, you die you die <laughs> you die <laughs> you die or uh, i suppose amputees they get that thing where they can like they feel their feet itch when they don't have a foot there. Maybe you can still massage <laughs> yeah. the yeah. phantom foot. Phantom foot. Yeah, phantom reflexology. Oh, come on, that's a level of woo that no one's got to just yet. <laughs> Combining goals don't give them and ideas. reflexology. I'm pitting that. I'm not sure which part of the foot you have to rub to fix your foot. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I think all of it. Any part of it. Any part of the foot Maybe, fixes the yeah, foot. Fixing the foot is a side effect of fixing, you know, the kidney or the earlobe. So... Uh, John Roberts, and the, the holistic dentist, has this homunculus therapy, um, which uh, is uh, he calls tongue diagnosis, where he thinks you can tell anything that's wrong with the body by looking at your tongue. Now, I, 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 I downloaded the tongue map off his website. It, it's <laughs> got kidney, bladder, intestines, stomach, spleen, lungs, heart, liver, and gallbladder, and that's it. Really? So you've got a sore neck? Tough. Eyes, done. Yeah, eyes, done. Tongue. Good. Brain problem, you've got brain cancer. <laughs> Nothing in the mouth, ironically, is represented absolutely, by the tongue. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's a dentist, he can fix everything else. Oh, in the yeah, mouth that's absolutely fine. Yeah. He's, he's got that using genuine dentistry rather than bogus nonsense. <laughs> so I'm just going to fix this tooth to fix that one. Yeah. yeah, rub one tooth to fix the other tooth. Tooth <laughs> reflexology, we're coming up with some great ideas. Tooth here. reflexology is a cracking idea. You've got decay in that tooth, so I will drill this one. <laughs> Let's bring it all together. Phantom tooth reflexology. When you've had a tooth taken out, you can rub where that tooth was. <laughs> rub the imaginary tooth that was once there and it'll fix everything else. Done. Rub your missing wisdom tooth. Yeah. To, to fix everything else that's going on in your entire body. What if you're a twin? Well, can you just manipulate your own tongue and cure your twin? I love Andy Parsons said that on Mock the Week. <laughs> he, he said if acupuncture is poking people with sticks to make people feel better, and voodoo is poking people with sticks <laughs> to make people feel worse. If you're twins and you get acupuncture, is your other twin in a bit of trouble? <laughs> um, right, so the Daily Mail uh, sent a reporter up to, uh, to, to speak to the holistic dentist, Dr. Roberts. Um, and they published this, uh, this, this, this credulous report on their website. Um, I don't know if it was in the print version of the paper as well or not, but it mm. was it was certainly in the on the web version. Yes, yeah, yeah. Where this guy just buys hook, line, and sinker everything that Roberts is telling him. Yeah. So the guy lies in the dentist's chair, and Roberts takes a look at his tongue, and the first thing he mentions is that he has a problem with his gallbladder. The reporter Chris Middleton didn't mention that he had any problems with his gallbladder. Oh, okay. Um, uh, although Roberts was very quick to say that it wasn't a, a, a serious disease and could probably be remedied usually by diet, 
suggesting that um, Middleton had been eating too much hot and spicy food. Oh, really? So, reporter eats curry shock. Yeah, (laughs) that sounds a little bit like a cold reading miss. Well, I I completely agree with you because I I think what what Roberts is doing is cold reading his patients because Mm. the next thing he comes in with is that, oh, this bit of your tongue says that you have problems with your liver. Now, Middleton jumps in immediately with a comment in in the article saying that he'd recently been diagnosed with a a problem where his liver couldn't process cow's milk. Now, a nurse friend of mine says the liver has nothing to do with that whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, I I suppose he could have got got this information from a bogus therapist, um, a a naturopath or or something along those lines. Or a different holistic doctor, dentist guy. Um, Robert says, you've got a problem with your liver. And Middleton immediately says, oh, that's my lactose intolerance. Which is, it sounds to me, that's a cold reading hit. Mm. He's thrown out something very general. You have a problem yeah. with your liver. But how how common is liver disease in the mm. UK? You yes, know, yeah. p- particularly given that we're a nation of binge drinkers. Mm. I should imagine everybody yeah. is going to have some sort of liver problem. Whether it's causing them trouble or not, if they went to a doctor and the doctor poked around with it, they'd find something wrong with it, I'm sure. Well, I mean, there's also, you've got to take into account, perhaps, that, I mean, this Middleton chap is a reporter who... He, Reporters, uh, generally speaking, don't have the uh, don't have aren't fully dedicated to a fully uh, healthy lifestyle. Okay. But yeah, you got to you got one thing you can take it in fact is that uh, so often when you when you do see a doctor or you see some sort of therapist or some kind of health practitioner, the first thing they'll do is talk to you about your lifestyle. They'll just casually you know just casually chat about your lifestyle. Also, you know how much you drink, what kind of foods you eat, that kind of thing. Right. Let's do the let's start the examination. As, as if that's not part of the examination where that's, that's just, actually yeah, exactly. their so, I mean, research and their prep. It's pure speculation, but I mean, the, the number of times I, you've been to a doctor and they'll ask you those kind of standard questions, and I'm sure any doctor listening could, uh, could confirm whether those are fairly standard questions. So they wouldn't necessarily strike someone as being out of place, but as soon as you then throw them into, into a cold reading situation, you know, they suddenly start coming up with uh, being used for hits rather than being used for diagnostic purposes of a, of a genuine kind. So I had a look at Robert's website. Nice. Um, and the the list of therapies he offers is insane. Is it <laughs> is it dentistry? Um, he offers dentistry. He offers dentistry. <laughs> he does offer dentistry. Actually, I, I, I can't. I don't know these off the top of my head. I mean, I don't know whether Colin knows them. Do you want to throw some out there? Let's see how many we can just hit if we just throw some out there. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what he. I'll 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 tell you what Robert says he does, mm. and, yeah, and you tell me what you guys think it is. <laughs> really? Is it that bad? Is it someone like? Okay, off you go. go. Now, you, you'll have heard of most of them, I'm sure. Right, colonic hydrotherapy. Uh, water up the bum. Yep. Done. <laughs> um. Uh, homeopathy, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing essentially is what he's doing there. Absolutely not do. nothing. He, he does do reflexology. He does. Yes. Does he do it on teeth? Well, uh, the, he, he does it on the feet, um, but the, uh, he he, <laughs> he does reflexology. But he also does um, craniosacral therapy, which is the same thing on your head. That's phrenology, essentially. Yeah, like it's it's sort of like phrenology. I think phrenology is for a um, uh, is telling your personality rather yeah, than, from rather than the head. Yeah, yeah. physical problems. Or craniosacral right. therapy is sort of rubbing your head to 
fix. I think it's actually an energy therapy. It's uh, yeah. you, where you rub your head to fix. I mean, it's essentially, neither of them do anything. So they're, they're the same thing, just <laughs> yeah. very different. Yeah, but it means he's, he's he's got three different homunculus therapies that he offers. He does reflexology, right. tongue diagnosis, and craniosacral therapy. The thing is, if you're going to be homunculus about every single part of the body, it stops being homunculus because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're already in every element of the person's yeah. body. You can probably find out what's actually <laughs> wrong with them. After you get enough homunculus therapies in a row, you could, you know, just uh, be in a good fist fight. You'd come out better yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the other end. Someone punches you in the shoulder. So, <laughs> blimey, that's cleared up my kidney problems. Um, he also offers a, a, a detox massage. What? Detox massage. It's it, uh, Have you missed a comma? <laughs> where you get someone to lie down and you rub their back to flush out their lymphatic system. Nice. Their lymphatic system. Because that's where all the crap lives. Mm-hmm. When you get toxined up, <laughs> it all lives in your lymphatic system, and so he rubs your back until it flushes your lymphatic system. Is he claiming the lymphatic system is in the back? Yeah, because I didn't think it was. I mean, the lymph is nodes it? are what? Under the, there's two under the well, neck, there's two under the arms. Yeah. Uh, it's, in the it's, groin. He describes it as a massage. I, th- I should suspect it's probably more than just the back that gets rubbed. Yeah. Neuro-linguistic programming, he does. <gasps> no, <laughs> he's a dentist. He's a, he's a dentist who's into neuro-linguistic programming. So does he just train you to believe that your teeth are better? Yes, that that must be how it works. Essentially, yeah. if, you, if you say the word tooth be better, often enough your body will suddenly heal Te- your teeth. Teeth are yeah. good, teeth are good, teeth are good, teeth are yeah. good. Uh, recalcify. If you, you say re- <laughs> recalcify over and over again. Um, that, sounds, that does sound like something from Harry Potter. <laughs> Recalcify. <laughs> Actually, for some reason, I did the gay version of Harry Potter. I'm not quite sure why. That was like the, the ridiculously over-the-top Broadway campaign. <laughs> Recalcify. John Roberts also offers nutritional counselling. Nutritional counselling. Which I, I suspect, with a, a, <laughs> a nod to uh, Mitchell and Webb, that means telling people they're allergic to dairy and wheat. Yes, <laughs> could be. Although, as Ben Goldacre pointed out, uh, and I think Daryl Breen said it in his live show as well, the, the phrase, the term uh, nutritionist isn't a protected term. So it's not, no. Anyone no. could pr- proclaim this. Uh, dietitian is the protected yeah. term. Yeah, absolutely. So, I am a nutritionist. Are you a nutritionist, man? I'm also a nutritionist. Paul? I am a nutritionist. That's a lie. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. For 50 quid, I'm sure I could buy a PhD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I love what Daro Breen said in, in in his show where he said, if if you imagine like uh, a dietitian is an equivalent to a dentist, uh, then a nutritionist is an equivalent to a toothologist. <laughs> <laughs> Which is that the next thing on John Roberts' list of things? John he is? Roberts also practices toothology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the 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 last thing I've got on uh, on my list of stuff that he does is um, <clears throat> what he refers to as an ozone sauna. Which, as I understand it, is putting you in a box full of toxic gas. Um, I'm not sure what therapeutic effects um, this is meant to have. Does certainly he also sort of hit you with little leaves and things? Is it? Certainly, the World Health Organization is is, is on record as saying that this has no therapeutic yeah. benefit whatsoever. Is he actually a registered dentist as well as all this? He graduated from the uh, the Leeds School of Dentistry. Born and raised in Liverpool, graduated from the the, the Leeds School of Dentistry. I don't know where he gets the time to do any dentistry with that list, either. Well, he probably does it while they're uh, sort of paying their bills, because the amount of time <laughs> it takes while to fill in an invoice, yeah, to sign an invoice for that, you can do an entire root canal while they're just uh, <laughs> writing out the cheque.
Yeah, well, one thing I was looking at, and uh, this is something that we've looked at a few times uh, amongst ourselves uh, in the past, it's something that looks like it's on the horizon for the next kind of brand of woo to uh, embrace us, is the allergy to Wi-Fi and uh, electro-hypersensitivity. Uh, the Telegraph this week, uh, and the, the Sun also, went with uh, a guy, Steve Miller, not the uh, not the Steve Miller band <laughs> fame, Steve Miller. As I say, you cannot come up and see him, you cannot make him smile, especially if you have Wi-Fi. Uh, this is DJ Steve Miller, whose uh, who's stage name Afterlife saw him uh, residency at, at uh, Pasha in Ibiza. Into the microphone, please. Absolutely. At Pasha in Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a, an unusual article, really. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's completely credulous. He's, uh, he's claiming that he's, um, he, he can't visit uh, local high streets because of his sensitivity to what he calls electro-smog. Which is essentially just Wi-Fi. Electro smog. Electro smog. Yes. Right. Yeah. So which is a, which is Wi-Fi. I mean, he says he's. Uh, it's claimed that there are that around two percent of the population have electro hypersensitivity, and yet, of course, it's not a real diagnosis. Who, who claims that? I had a look to find out where this two percent number came from, and it just seems it's like it's plucked out of the air. I mean, if anyone has any idea where two percent, that's one in fifty people. Uh, claiming to be electro hypersensitive. I mean, I know a few people. How many people? You know, you probably know a few people. Yeah. Is, is anyone actually ale- allergic to Wi-Fi or? Well, no, it doesn't exist. No, it's nonsense. It's complete utter nonsense. The Telegraph published <laughs> story as well as the Sun, uh, claiming you know that uh, that Steve has missed out on uh, an awful lot of gigs because he's unable to go anywhere near Wi-Fi. He said uh, he quoted himself: uh, "If I go somewhere, I can instantly sense the Wi-Fi and have to leg it." I think is a, is a fantastic quote. And of course, it's utter nonsense. Um, and uh, it was actually, funnily enough, pointed out in the Telegraph as being nonsense <laughs> shortly after the year, uh, on the same day, in fact, as the original article. The, it was uh, Ian Douglas, who's head of digital production, wrote a response to the article on his blog for the Telegraph. And the response was called, Why No One Is Allergic to Wi-Fi, <laughs> which is a pretty, uh, a pretty decent and... Uh, damning title just to start <laughs> off with yeah and he raises some fantastic points i mean uh, he, he points out in there in the in his article that uh, wi-fi is you know electromagnetic waves just like light and radio so how steve is able to be completely sensitive to the point of legging it from wi-fi yeah and yet is able to listen to the radio presumably and live in our world which is constantly at all times awash with electromagnetic we are we're being absolutely bombarded by electromagnetic not least visible light is electromagnetic radiation yeah you know it's you know if the guy can go out in the sun then he's not sensitive to electromagnetic radiation maybe a dj (laughs) (laughs) maybe he couldn't go out in the sun it might do you think he's actually a vampire do you think that's like a secret vampire yeah he's definitely a secret vampire yeah Maybe he's just Which is why his stage name as a DJ is Afterlife. Aha! <laughs> it all comes together. We've figured it out. Balls to the de- Telegraph and their investigative journalism. We know the real skinny <laughs> on this, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, what, what really sort of caught my eye about it was that it, um, it reminds me of a story that we covered uh, on our blog. Um, I, I wrote about, about uh, Sarah Dacre, who's a, who is a TV producer in London. Yeah. And uh, she... You know, she says she had a, a very successful career. She was very busy at all times. She had a really high-paced, energetic lifestyle. She was recently divorced and bringing up a child on her own. And she started to suffer symptoms. And those symptoms were, and this is just a, a, a rough list, she suffered migraines, headaches, numbness, uh, digestive problems. 
You also started to suffer from low energy and chronic fatigue, panic attacks, breathlessness, high blood pressure. That sounds like depression to me. It sounds like stress and depression, <laughs> absolutely. Which is weird because her, G- her GP actually told her she was probably overworking and she should get some rest. And she admits herself that um, with her lifestyle and bringing up her five-year-old son on her own as a divorcee, as a TV producer in London of all places, that uh, she might be at risk from stress-related illness. That's, that's, that's not a headline though, is it? TV producer <laughs> is stressed. No, absolutely not. Whereas it happened to me, I'm allergic to modern life. <laughs> a bit more sellable, really. You can get away with that a little bit better. So what's she doing? Is she gone off and become Amish now? Yeah, well, pretty much actually. I mean, it's it's amazing when you when you look at the uh, ex- the the extent to which she went. Um, she suddenly found out about electro hypersensitivity, the completely made up diagnosis, which is only accepted in Sweden and even then not recognised as an actual disease, but more of a syndrome that has no real cause, mm. and that is hotly under dispute. Um, but no, that was enough for her, and it's, she says here that uh, she cleared her bedroom of the phone, TV, computer electrical wires of any kind including the ones in her walls and she lined her walls with foil wallpaper she tinfoiled her bedroom essentially (laughs) this is the classic tinfoil maneuver see Uh, i tinfoil my bedroom but that's when i was eight to make it look like a spaceship nice did it work (laughs) no no (laughs) did it just look like tinfoil wall. It, it looked like a bedroom covered in tinfoil. Very expensive on the tinfoil as well. You had very mm. encouraging parents, very understanding parents. My parents had no idea. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. But you were very well protected from any electromagnetic yeah. waves. I, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't feel sick. Or Did you get... suffer from electrohypersensitivity at the time? Um, well, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I was surrounded by tinfoil. Yeah, it, was, it, it protected you. Well, I mean, maybe you didn't go to this extent. She said she also screened her windows with silver radiation-proof fabric. And started wearing a headnet to protect against mass emissions. She had a tinfoil hat, essentially. We love a tinfoil hat. <laughs> every every piece of woo needs a tinfoil hat. There's not a single story that isn't made better by a tinfoil hat. No. I was kidnapped by aliens uh, with a tinfoil hat. Hey! I'm listening, yeah. Well, amazingly, amazingly, it, she, uh, she hadn't been fully diagnosed with EHS, electrohypersensitivity, at the time. This was just what she'd heard about and decided to try it and she said she started to feel better you know almost instantly uh she said uh, uh yeah almost immediately i began to feel better to have more energy to sleep and eat better and then she says finally in 2006 i was diagnosed with ehs by a specialist i found on the internet <laughs> now this struck me as oh. weird mm. now she she got rid of her computer and can't go yeah. near anything electric and yet she, and she, it's wi-fi as well <laughs> and yet she went on the internet to find a specialist she went to an internet cafe dressed up in silver foil she might have done that. Yeah. Or she might have sent someone else, a proxy, perhaps. An now, ambassador on her behalf. I quite <laughs> like the idea she's gone to an internet cafe dressed as a Cyberman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Head to foot in silver. <laughs> Come so on, bring on, it on. So on the advice of this specialist from the internet, who I'll point out, we don't get the name of, we don't get why he's a specialist. In what, what he's a specialist yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. What, what qualifies him as a specialist, I suspect nothing. Mm-hmm. But on on his advice, and this is the the real, I want to say tragedy of the story. Really, I mean, it's it's unbelievable the lengths that vulnerable people will go to. That uh, because he told that she had EHS and that she'd never be able to use or even be near mobile phones, microwave ovens, radios, Wi-Fi computers, or, or be in any public building such as an airport, railway station, museums, or restaurants. She couldn't travel on the tube. She couldn't drive on the motorway without triggering symptoms. She couldn't even visit friends. She said. 
though. <laughs> could she go on a train? The trains have overhead electrical. Well, no, I mean, she said, well, she tables, said she couldn't use they? the tube. She couldn't go to railway stations or use a tube. So whether she could go on a train is, is somewhat academic, unless she can get on one without being near a railway station. Well, that depends. I suppose a steam train she could get away with. That's probably true. <laughs> yeah. Although steam trains, steam trains run on heat, and heat is of the electromagnetic Is an electromagnetic, uh, 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 is electromagnetic radiation. Absolutely. So she's not getting on, uh, on Thomas the Tank mm-hmm. Engine anytime soon. <laughs> Um, yeah, so instead she moved to rural Kent to uh, grow vegetables and to generally take it easy. And lo and behold, once in rural Kent, where presumably they're not bombarded by any electromagnetic frequency, uh, I think... Can't get BBC uh, One in rural Kent. Absolutely not. You can't have a radio... Walls made of silver foil. In All fact, maybe her house Kent. was made entirely of, <laughs> of tin foil. She became a, a farmer and lo and behold, her symptoms eased. It wasn't oh, a big uh, farmer, was it? She wasn't a big farmer. <laughs> She's become big farmer. But I think the one last bit on this story that I really want to touch on, and it's uh, it's been keeping us entertained here at the MSS for uh, for about a month now, is uh, after I blogged on this particular particular item, I started to receive some unusual feedback from a guy who names himself only as Supermank, and I know (laughs) you guys read this. We love Supermank. He's fantastic. He's our he's our pet nutball, really. Essentially, we we like to keep him and just pet him now and then. Initially, he was. criticising the fact that uh, I mentioned it wasn't a recognisable diagnosis. He said that it was everywhere in Europe, except it's only in Sweden. Yeah. Uh, so I asked him, you know, I said, here's, here's a few articles to PubMed, here's a few published journals, scientifically, reviewed, scientifically found, peer-reviewed, genuine science. Show me your side of it. Show me the ones that say, this is a real diagnosis, this is a real illness. And after a little bit of prompting, he showed me his best evidence, which was an Israeli site written entirely in Hebrew, which it was impossible to tell what that was on there. I mean, it certainly <laughs> wasn't a journal. And then after a little bit more prompting, he sent it to uh, his next piece of evidence, which was a story in the local paper in Wales, where 56 people said they felt ill around, <laughs> uh, around Wi-Fi. But then when you actually read the story he linked to, fantastically, it actually said in the middle of it that uh, those people couldn't tell whether the Wi-Fi was switched on or off. <laughs> And, and the actual yeah. story he linked to proved his, him completely wrong. Yeah. And then I finally he linked off to the uh, the Sun website as his uh, his backup plan. I Cheers. love the random links that nut jobs send. I got into an argument on the internet with someone who believed in telepathy the other day, and I said, "Well, did you show me any, any links? You're saying that there's proof. Post some. He did, and it was a an article studying telepathy in parrots. All <laughs> <laughs> things. Um, yeah. <laughs> Things by a, a Sheldrake Foundation, which I think is Rupert Sheldrake's um, quite well known to studying these things, apparently. Yeah, I, think, heard yeah I have uh, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yes, I, I didn't read the whole thing because it's very long, but it, there's a lot of tenuous I'm going to have to look into I want to know what, what protocol <laughs> tests for a telepathic <laughs> parrot. Well, maybe, maybe you sit in front of it and think... Would you like a cracker? <laughs> <laughs> and if it says, poly, poly want a cracker. <laughs> Done. Nice. Yep, uh, this other thing I want to talk about, it's lost from the New Scientist again, the most recent issue. It's not actually an article, it's a book review of a book called Addiction, A Disorder of Choice by Gene Heyman, Harvard University, he's a psychologist. And basically it's a rebuttal of medical definition of what an addiction is. It's, and it's a rather bizarre story of how 
the current definition of alcohol as, as a disease actually came about. Basically, in 1942, the Research Council on Problems of Alcohol decided that, that they needed to get more alcoholics to go to doctors for treatment. And that the best way to do this was to persuade them it was a disease. Really? Yeah. They actually got... Al- alcoholism itself is a, is, a, is a disease? Yeah. Right. And they actually got the definition changed. Uh, they got the head of the National Association of Publicity Directors, to basically, who said, and I'll quote him verbatim, establish in the public mind that the alcoholic is a sick man who is exceptionally reactive to alcohol, that he is not responsible for his condition, and the yes response to doctors becomes automatic. Becomes automatic, uncritical, and emotional. Mm. And basically, marketing's vanguard in the medical arena. There was no real medical evidence to suggest that it was a disease. It was just the triumph of marketing over medicine. Nearly 70 years later, no pathogen has been found at all which links addiction to being any kind of chronic disease like diabetes or asthma. Mm. And I find it strange that this still goes on, and that's what in the book is basically a rebuttal of this. I, I know South Park tackled it, uh, tackled it pretty well. I don't know if you saw that episode where... Oh, no, I've not seen that one. Where, uh, I've Rand- seen a lot of South Park, but I've not yeah. seen that one. <laughs> where Stan's dad becomes an alcoholic, and uh, he, he says, you know, I'll just cut back on my drinking. And someone says, no, 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 alcoholism is a disease. So he spends the rest of his time going, oh, my God, it's a disease. I tell oh, a lie. Yeah. I have seen that one. I, can, I, can <laughs> I remember it, it now. I've got a disease. I can't yeah. help myself. And he spirals out of control. He's yeah. Like, just give me another bottle. I've got a disease. It's not my fault. You know, this is just like cancer. It's something I find I've, I find very annoying about 12-step programs. Mm, yeah, is, absolutely. Um, for, on the one hand, you have to say, Oh, it's out of my hand. It's not my. It, 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 it's not my fault. I yeah, can't surrender do yourself to a higher power. I can't do anything about this. But then you have to surrender yourself to a higher power. Mm. You know, which means God is what it comes down. Oh to. yeah, absolutely. Or Zenu. Or well, is Zeno a higher power? No, Zeno is the evil galactic overlord. We don't like. <laughs> yeah, but he's, he could be That's... a higher power than you. I mean, he's he's technically got more power. I mean, just because he's on the opposite side to good, he's still quite powerful. You're not going to surrender yourself to Zenu. <laughs> I'm not going to surrender myself oh. to God. Zenu's I'll surrender myself g- to Zena. <laughs> <laughs> Be much more fun. <laughs> My main issue is just I find it strange that this has lasted so long. I mean, unless it still serves the original purpose of getting people to go and seek treatment. But And, and Heyman objects particularly the assumption that the neurological changes in addicts' brains are causes rather than symptoms of addiction. Mm. He cites um, addicts' accounts and epidemiological studies, and he shows that addiction remits at double the rate of any other of other psychiatric illnesses, and that many addicts give up their habits by the age of 30 without treatment simply because it interferes with their lives. Is this only alcoholism that they're talking about, or d- are they talking about other forms of narcotic addiction as well? I think what's happened is that over the, the years, it's, originally there was the definition was alcoholism as an addiction, but I think it's moved to be applied to a lot of other addictions. Well, you know, you get people saying the, you know, the addictive personality and that people yeah. are born addicted and, you know, you get addicted to things so much faster that mm. people are naturally addicted. Yeah. yeah. Addictive personality is a strange term. It's a bit quite misleading. I think it's good descriptively if you're someone who tends towards being addicted to things. Some people do. But it's not It's not a condition you've arrived at. No, it's more of a habitual personality than an addictive personality. Yeah. It's falling into habits rather than necessarily compulsion, like... Physi- physiological compulsions, as you'd, you'd presume addiction, 
would mean. You know, you can be addicted to nicotine because your body starts to crave it. And yeah, heroin. Similarly. But you, you, well, I don't know if you can. Um, there, there, there is a distinction between a psychological addiction and a, a, a physical dependency, mm. where nicotine addiction is a, is a physical dependency, and the only thing that smoking cures is nicotine cravings. Yes, <laughs> that's that's the, that's the thing. If you're feeling stressed, you're feeling stressed and have nicotine cravings. So you have a cigarette, and the nicotine cravings go away, and so you feel a little bit better, yeah. and mm. you interpret that as it's made you less stressed. Well, yeah. no, it hasn't. It's just got rid of your nicotine craving. Yes, yeah. Um, so it's it, it's it, 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 I, I find smoking very odd on that basis. I don't understand why anyone would. It doesn't make you it's feel strange. Good. All it does is get rid of the side effects of withdrawal from the drug <laughs> that you're addicted mm. to. Um, which is what makes it so dangerous, I suppose. But there is a distinction made between a psychological addiction yeah. and a physical addiction. Well, I don't know if it, are you saying that this book is saying that there is no such thing as a psychological addiction. It's only um, that there are any physical dependencies. Because nicotine is a physical dependency. There's yeah. biochemical changes in your body as a result of that. Mm. Alcoholism. I don't know if if, if there yeah. if there are if, if there are those changes beyond the well, neurological. There are. Yeah, there are because you get uh, you know the DTs and things, and you can. Yeah. hallucinate when you're if you're a heavily alcoholic a chronic alcoholic and you're coming off alcohol you know you're going cold you're going what's the word not cold turkey you're drying out i suppose then you do get the dts and you shake yeah. and uh, hallucinate and things because of your your body right sort of craving the alcohol right okay <laughs> <laughs> no sir i didn't yeah. know that that's fine yeah that's I, mean, I think i heard something recently on another podcast but uh w- with someone who um his job was to get mice uh, drunk, essentially. <laughs> That's a great it job. Uh, actually, it was on, I remember it was on that. It was a Pendulette's radio show from a couple of years ago that I was listening to on podcast the other day. How's that a line on your CV? Better than that. <laughs> 2003 to 2008, <laughs> getting mice drunk. Yeah, he had to test uh, addictability in, in mice and, and physical dependency on alcohol in mice. At the same time, <laughs> I can almost bring myself, can't bring myself to say this, he had to uh, get monkeys addicted to coke <laughs> so he had a lot of coked up monkeys and drunk mice <laughs> and not ethical at all it's fantastic isn't it it's fantastic and his job i mean they, they had to have a, a constant drip or a constant kind of access i mean they got the monkey addicted by whenever he pressed a button he'd get a hit of coke you know, he'd have to do that i can't remember how they administered it to him i don't suppose he snorted it through a rolled up 50 pound <laughs> note does, does the monkey have a little mirror and yeah. credit card and yeah <laughs> yeah and a massive eagle, <laughs> a massive, massive eagle. <laughs> but uh, amazingly, they had to have like a, a system set up, and overnight the uh, electrics crashed, and uh, it stopped feeding the mice booze, and the monkey coked, and he got in the next day and had all these trembling, completely <laughs> fucked up mice <laughs> who were going, uh, who were drying out, and at the same time he had these uh, monkeys who were tweaking out from uh, withdrawal from uh, cocaine. Excellent. I mean, not excellent. Oh, no. That's obviously quite harsh. Well, it was obviously a very, very important and uh, and groundbreaking study. That's that's the title. I think it was a study into comedy more than anything else. It's the title of my new book, is uh, Coked Up Monkeys and Drunken Mice. Yeah. <laughs> that's a bestseller. That is a bestseller right bestseller there. Bestseller right there. I'd buy that. Especially if you make it self-helpy. Like, <laughs> some people, like the whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Some people are coked up monkeys. Some people are drunken mice. And we have to all learn to get along in some sort of uh, simian rodent fashion. But the coked up monkeys and drunken mice get on really well together. Oh no! All happy. Depends chill. how drunk the mice are. 
and people just sort of like arm round the monkey, yeah. I love you, all that kind Wait, of thing. A bit, bit later, they get a bit aggressive. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. enough of you. <laughs> Which is bad to a corked up monkey. I mean, to <laughs> any monkey, you don't want to be get aggressive, <laughs> especially if you're a mouse. <laughs> yeah, some monkeys do get get belts of very severe aggression occasionally, particularly chimps who aren't actually monkeys, but ignore that. We can, we can yeah. gloss over that. Well, uh, <laughs> all, the, all the creationists ignore that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were saying men come from monkey? No, apes. <laughs> One of my ex-girlfriends used to own a monkey. Really? Yes. A real monkey? Yeah. Where'd you get that then? Uh, well, she was in Indi- Indonesia at the time. And She owned an Indonesian monkey? Yeah. Oh, and it, and it's That's another best-selling book there. <laughs> I owned an Indonesian monkey. But she had, she had to leave in there when she came back here, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. It's quite a sad story because you have to constantly watch them all the time because ha- you have to have a chain on them by law, I think. And it's attached to his foot and it goes to the stand he's on. And he basically decided to do some kind of, I don't know, double somersault flip off and strangled himself. Oh! You need a little ball nice. on the end of the chain, like you, uh, put him in little stripy pyjamas. <laughs> little arrows on it. You preface that with it's quite a sad story. I, I can't <laughs> help but, but laugh at the I, idea of a monkey. I shouldn't laugh. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the other thing that uh, that I was I was going to speak about today was um, a little bit of investigative work that uh, I took part in on the weekend. I was actually in Blackpool, of all places. Fantastic, lovely, lovely Blackpool. I don't mind a bit of Blackpool. Really? I which, like Blackpool. Which bit? The bit with the Doctor Who exhibition in, mainly. <laughs> oh, yeah, we walked past that, actually. Yeah, we did walk past that. We didn't go in. Absolutely <laughs> did not go in. The only bit of Blackpool I like is the bit that's not Blackpool, that Lytham and St. Anne's. There's a nice beach up there. But that was by the by. That wasn't, uh, there's nothing sceptical <laughs> in nature there. But what, what we did come across on Blackpool... Uh, Oddly enough, there is something sceptical in the Doctor Who exhibition. Is that the guy who runs it is a big lizard run the world... David Icke, really? the whole bit, and he will talk to anyone about <laughs> it if you give him five seconds. Fantastic. He really will go, to the lizard, you know, there's one standing behind you right now. You can't see it, but I can, I've had this conversation with him. You can't see it, but I can see it. He's standing behind you now. Yeah, so while I was in Blackpool, um, I took the opportunity, as did a friend of mine, uh, to see a palm reader, which was enlightening. Right. I think... My friend's palm reading is probably, and it's it's Darren. I'm sure if he's listening, he'll uh, he'll be happy for me to say his name. His palm reading is probably the greatest palm reading of all time, and I know this because it started in a fantastic fashion. It really got off with a kick. He went in, you know, sat down as you as you do with these things. They had a little chat about how much it would cost, and she sort she tried to sort of like paint the little woo picture as they always do. And the first thing she read on his palm was that there is a wedding coming up for you. Which left him somewhat nonplussed because at the time he was wearing a dress and a hat which said the groom and he was on his <laughs> stag do. <laughs> it, it's impossible. It's impossible to have not guessed he was about to get married when he was there cross dressing in a hard hat with <laughs> words scrawled across it. But uh She's clearly gifted. Oh she's yeah. fantastically gifted. So, you know, my friend was gifted very with, gifted with the power of sight. Yes, she, <laughs> she can definitely see. We're not talking about the sight. We're no. just talking about plain ordinary sight. It's foresight in the sense that you can see things directly in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not aft sight or, or side sight or something. But uh, yeah, yeah excellently, uh, you know, my mate was completely nonplussed and just casually pointed to the hat with a completely stony face. And her response was, I'm not an academic. It's just what the hands are telling me. 
If, uh, and what she, what she, uh, if she's saying she can't read there, what, what, what does I'm not know that mean? <laughs> I don't know because yeah, I mean it says it said like, I never learned to read. On his hat. Was well, he wearing an engagement ring as well? Uh, I don't think he would have been because oh. at the time he was completely covered in fake tan and his hands <laughs> were his hands were browner than Des O'Connor. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it was, uh, browner than Des O'Connor is another book name though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that book's going though, unfortunately. And then what followed was a was a startling series of. Um, Utter, utter misses, which to my, to my friend's credit, he completely called on. He said, uh, the wedding will be in S- September sometime. He casually replied, it's in August. She said, it could mean another wedding in the family or a friend of a family. Could it? Said, I don't know of any. Or someone you may have met once. Yeah, and she said, well, I'm, I'm seeing this, so just keep your eye out. But keep an eye out for a wedding coming up in September. If you if you're driving around even and you see a wedding in September, it, it's always a, it's always a good one when you're cold reading. When they say you know, do you know a Jim, a Jimmy, Jim, J- Jimmy James, something like that? No, I don't know. You do. You'll think of him later. Yeah. Or <laughs> or you don't know him yet, but you don't will know. shortly. You'll meet him tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And at at yeah. any point in the next two years, when you meet someone called Jimmy, you go, oh, she yeah. said she said <laughs> I'd meet a Jimmy. It is. It's it's absolutely amazing. And there was a, there was a, a great series of questions. You know, have you have you recently moved jobs? No. You'll move your jobs in the next few years. Mm, probably not. You may get a promotion, maybe, but jobs are pretty scarce at the moment. <laughs> well, but and she said, uh, but I can see you're quite ambitious and you want to become better in life. He said, well, yeah, but I think most people are ambitious. Everyone's achieved something better, and she yeah. actually managed to answer this wonderful gypsy managed to answer with. Not everyone. Some people aren't ambitious. Some people don't <laughs> want to be better. Well, yeah, I think I think Bill Gates doesn't really want to do any better in life. I think he's he's about at the pinnacle of where he wants to be. That's probably true, actually. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, there's, there was just some fantastic stuff in in this 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 palm reading. You know, they, they did tell him that he was uh, about to move house, which is great because he did say, uh, "Not really, because our house is in negative equity and it's really unlikely to improve anytime soon, so I can't afford to move house." And she said, well, that's what I'm seeing. You will move house. And he said, well, unless I win the lottery, I'm not moving. Am I going to win the lottery? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so his, his uh, I mean, I, I, he's going he's gonna to help. I'm going to help him. Around. We're going to write it up and put it as a blog post. I'll keep an eye out for it. But it really was a fantastic reading. And uh, it inspired me to uh, have a reading of my own. And uh, Oh, you went in yourself? I went in myself. It was a different one I went into this time. We, we, were, we went into... Uh, she probably thinks she was getting picked on if you went into the same... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was just as uh, just as uncooperative as they put it. But uh, this was a different one. Who I actually I stood outside of the hut for this woman, and uh, along the top of the hut she had all twelve astro- astrological symbols, and then down the side she had pictures of different crystals, and then she had the little map of the hand. And I thought I felt like I was standing on the precipice of a complete <laughs> cornucopia of bullshit, <laughs> like the epicenter of every piece of nonsense in some little sort of two-bit hut in Blackpool. <laughs> so I I was convinced to go in. I wasn't. I was rather reluctant, but uh, I went in and uh, I sat down. And I I decided what I'd do is I'd be as uh, as nonplussed and as uh, as stoic and uh, give as little away as possible because obviously this is what they feed on. And her opening gambit, I mean, she was really quite terrible in general, but I suppose that's what these guys do for a living. They just spout stuff off and presume people aren't going to uh, call them on it. But her opening gambit just simply said, your lucky number is nine, your lucky colour is white, and Sunday is your lucky day. <laughs> and I obviously said, well, why is nine my lucky number? She said, I don't know, just is. <laughs> <laughs> no, no pretense of technique. Do you have a lucky number? I don't have a lucky number. I suppose 13. I was born on the 13th. Yeah. And the perverse idiot in me kind of likes the idea of having uh, a lucky number which is considered by most to be unlucky 
So my my lucky number is pi. It's pi. <laughs> Just to wind <laughs> people up. That's that's got to be unlucky. Yeah, that's gonna be difficult to. I guess your lucky number. Go on then. No one's <laughs> gonna say pi. <laughs> Never gonna happen. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, her opening gambit, uh, like her, her next thing after that, really. really and I, what I thought I'd do is I'd really sort of keep you know, as, as emotionless as possible because what these guys do is they feed on every little nod, every wink, every gulp. And you can tell from the from her opening sentence that uh, she was getting no feedback because she said, uh, I think this next year coming up is going to be good. There's going to be things happening throughout. Really? Oh, things sh- happening. No things, less. things will happen throughout the year. Things I would never throughout have guessed. The year. Then she said, uh, changes are, are going to happen maybe with your career. She paused said, to please you, she paused, though you might not think so, she paused, I don't know, <laughs> she paused, and said, but there is a decision, she paused, for your career, and she paused, or a big event, and that was her opening gambit, that was her initial fish. So how many how many claims are there in that? I think, well, let's see, uh, there's the change, maybe a career, it might please you, expecting that I'd then sort of shift in my seat and look quite happy about it. Nothing. So she was suddenly confused and said, though it might not please you, still nothing. And then, yeah, I mean, d- there's going to be a decision for a big career, for a career move or a big event. So something is going to happen. Something is going to happen throughout the year as well, no less. Right. And I asked her, you know, what kind of decision? She said, well, I don't know. Well, that's pretty pretty <laughs> <laughs> honest of her. It is, it is very honest of her. But uh, I'll, I'll point out at the moment, I wasn't actually getting a, a palm reading. I thought I'd just go for the, the face reading because she offered me a face reading early on. I'd never heard of this. I'd never heard that you can read faces. So I thought, I'll go for a face reading. And she used that as a stick to beat me with as often as possible. Every time I asked her a question about how it worked, she, she claimed it was in her hands. So she said, uh, you know, the hands show the career line and the love life line. And I said, so, you know, the hands would show exactly what my career is. And her answer was, and I'll quote this because I, I've got this written down. She says, but it does show that what are you trained in? <laughs> and I said, sorry? And she said, what are you trained in? And she repeated this question like four times until eventually I gave in and admitted that I'm a nurse, which I'm not. Yeah, uh, you're not a nurse. I'm not a nurse. What, not a nurse what, what do you do? I, I work in marketing and work in PR and websites and stuff. Right. So not, not a nurse. Nothing like nursery. In Maybe you were supposed to be a nurse. Well, apparently... That's not even tr- the truth. I mean, I said I'm a nurse, and she said, that's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently I am a nurse, and perhaps I don't know it, but my face does. If you're a nurse, you're in the wrong job. I am in the wrong job. <laughs> and the wrong outfit. Uh, and then she said, are you happy doing that? Again, looking for me to uh, to confirm. And I said, well, it's hard to tell. She said, has it lived up to what you expected? It's exactly the same question asked very slightly differently. <laughs> and I said, I'm not really sure. And she had nothing to go with that. And she said, so she moved on and said, you know, um, what, it's, what I'm seeing is there's going to be a change. It could be a change from what you're doing completely or just a move into a higher position, both of which she, she paused between, got nothing from me and carried on. She said, what, whichever, it's a change around a career line to get more money and job satisfaction. I mean, that's clear fishing. Who doesn't want more money and job satisfaction? Yeah. If anyone wasn't being sceptical at this point, you know, they'd perk up. Oh, job satisfaction. Well, money you say, tell me more. So I said, and she said, you know, like I say, there's a change completely. So I thought I'd feed her, you know, I'd help her out again. And I said, so it could be a move to a different hospital. She's very enthusiastic about that. I said, yes, yes, you know what I mean. Now she said that amazingly. She said that as a statement, not a question. Yeah. Yes, you know what I mean. Clearly, I didn't know what she meant. I was making it up. We, we moved on, and she started talking about relationships. She said, there's a relationship line. There's two relationship lines. She said, 
you you have a relationship line around you now. Are you settled in one? And I said no. I said are you just out of one? I said no. I said right, which means that if you're not in a relationship at, at this moment, you've got a secret admirer around you now, which I thought was great because that's not cold reading. She asked me if I'm in a relationship. No. Have I just been out of one? No. And she concluded that you know uh, that I wasn't and that there is someone who likes me. I mean, that's a pretty shocking attempt, I, I guess. I think she was just chatting you up, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> Sounds like a come on to me. Maybe There's she a was secret actually, yeah. admirer really near you ver- right now. <laughs> Damn it, I didn't get onto that. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been handy, you know, having a, uh, a palm reader as a girlfriend. So what I said was, you know, um, are they very close? She said, oh, yes, they're very close. So said, She's definitely coming <laughs> on to you. So I said, could it be one of the fellas I'm here in Blackpool with? And... Uh, she was pretty happy with that. She was like, yeah, yeah, could be, could be. Now, I'm not gay. She didn't manage to tell that either. So this palm reader was able to, off this face reader, I guess, yeah. was able to tell me that I'm a nurse when I'm not and wasn't able to pick up on the fact that I'm not gay. It, it, was she actually a gypsy? Well, she claimed to be a gypsy. Gypsy, I, I forget her name, um, but it had some some name I think that's famous around Blackpool for gypsies. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know whether... You know, obviously, gypsy is is uh, <laughs> these these days. It's a uh, um, obviously it's an ethnicity, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, and I couldn't comment on what her ethnicity was. She just was just a person. But she was, claimed to be a gypsy. She, her claim was that she was a gypsy. Right. I apparently once met the queen of the gypsies. Queen of the gypsies. Throw this one in. <laughs> how how did you meet the queen of the gypsies? Uh, I was doing some temporary work for a friend, at a Mitsubishi car dealership in Warrington, and. Basically, she used to buy a brand new Mitsubishi top of the range car every several months, and really? three pound a reading. <laughs> <laughs> and all the stuff they used to claim without any irony whatsoever that she was the queen of the gypsies. I wasn't aware they had queens or kings. I don't or know. Maybe they live in a hive, and it was a queen in the sort of the the bee or ant community sense. Well, so she just sits at home and spawns other gypsies. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> It's a lovely image. Okay, I think that's about all we have time for this week. So, thank you very much, dear listener, for listening to us. Thank you very much, Michael, for joining me. Thanks very much, sir. Uh, and Colin. Yeah, thank you. And uh, how often are we going to do these, then? Uh, fortnightly, something like that. Yeah? Eric, yeah. A couple of weeks? Yeah? I think weekly's a bit intense, isn't it? Yeah, far too intense. Okay, so we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Skeptics with a K is a production of the Merseyside Skeptics Society. Visit our website at www.merseysideskeptics.org.uk or email podcast at merseysideskeptics.org.uk. Skeptics with a K.